7.03 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. We are now in Hour 2 of the program. Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. North Star! Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Okay, quick reset here before we dive into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. We've got an open segment now. There are a lot of non-Canuck stories that we should probably get into that we will do over the course of the next 20 minutes. 7.30, Jeff Baker to talk Kraken. 8 o'clock, Brendan Batchelor to talk Canucks. 8.30, what we learns. And if you put a ticket emoji on your what we learned, you enter the grand prize draw for a pair of tickets to go see the Canucks play the Penguins on Friday night at Rogers Arena. So there you go. That's what's coming up. That's the reset. Should we go into the Dunbar Lumber text line Yes. Uh, Unsigned text. Who do you trade for a defenseman? If you trade a Horvat, who replaces him at center? Yeah, it's it's a tough decision right now. Right, They don't have a ton of tradable assets. What, are you going to trade another first-round draft pick? You better be real sure about the defenseman you bring in. And also, by doing that, are you also once again endorsing this current core? And that's the question that they have to answer. That is the number one question. Do you continue to try and make these incremental improvements to build around this current core that you have? Do you really believe in this core? Mm Mm-hmm. And when they signed JT Miller, it seemed to be an endorsement of that. At the very least, that's what it seemed like. I don't know, unless they had some sort of galaxy brain idea around (laughs) JT Miller. I mean, I even wondered the other day, I was like, did they maybe sign JT Miller to that contract extension because they thought with a contract extension he'd be more tradable? Maybe see people like albatrosses. Who knows? Well, do you around your neck. And the the only reason I I wondered that is because, first of all, I'm losing my mind with this team. But second of all, Mm -hmm. do you remember we went through this whole rigmarole or there was was the the rumors out there that one of the stumbling blocks with a trade with the New York Islanders was the Canucks wouldn't let the Islanders talk contract extension with JT Miller? That was one of the rumblings, yes. Something along those lines. So I'm like, well... Maybe they just wanted to get cost certainty for JT Miller. They thought he'd be, you know. They've certainly got that. They certainly do. Um, We've got a a text here. Mm -hmm. Uh, Given the Miller trade market wasn't going to garner the return on investment they wanted last season, would you rather sign him like they did or let him walk at the end of the season? Neither. They should have consummated a trade. Well, if we're using the benefit of hindsight, well, the question the question really is, or the answer is, I don't know because I don't know what his market value is right now, but and I, I don't know what was on the table for him last season. But I know what two of the most valuable assets are in the NHL. It's good quality players on good contracts and cap space. Yeah. So say what you will, and that was the underrated thing about trading JT Miller, and this is something that Drance, to his credit, kept on harping about. It's not just the return that you get for a player like Miller, which would, you know, a first round draft pick and, and, and a prospect or something along, whatever the return was, you also get his cap space. 
right? And if you're trading for a young player, the young player probably doesn't have a big cap number. And you got the first round draft pick. Mm-hmm. You know, I, what were the two things that Don Waddell said to us, the general manager and president of the Carolina Hurricanes, when we had him on the show Monday? He said, uh, we allowed ourselves to have the cap space and financial flexibility to make moves when they arose. That meant being able to trade for Max Pacioretty and Brent Burns in a single offseason mm-hmm. and not give up any assets of value. He also said, if you're going to operate the way that we do, and any team is going to operate the way that they want to, which is be Stanley Cup competitive, you're going to have a bunch of high-priced players that are in their primes, and you need young players on entry-level deals to step in and basically give you good, cheap labor. I hate putting it that way. Well, that's what it is. But that's what it is. Yeah. It's good labor, but it's cheap labor. And that's important. So, taking a page out of their book, do you want to be like Carolina? Well, no. They don't get past the second round of the playoffs. (laughs) But (laughs) I'd take being Carolina right now over being Conceptually, that makes sense to me. And that is one of the things that you can extrapolate out from the Miller situation. Is you could have maybe just had a prospect to pick in cap space. All three, which you got pretty good value right now. Uh, unsigned text. I may have given this management group a pass on the blue line blunders if they had done something with the draft, but they didn't even draft a defenseman that is likely to see the NHL. Well, Elias Pettersson, the defenseman version, was the taken in was taken in the third round. Uh, they've got, but I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong that they don't have any blue chip defensemen in the pipeline. Uh, we've had Chris Faber on before, and we've asked him, you know. You take Jack Rathbone out of the equation, who's their best blue line prospect? And he mentioned a, a Swedish kid by the name of Jonathan Myrenberg. Uh, he was a fifth-round draft pick in 2021. But the point is fair. The Canucks have spent um, – is it two first-round draft picks on defensemen in the last little while? Like Quinn Hughes was obviously one, and Ole Ulevi was another. Hughes, not a bust. Ole Levy, massive bust. Mm-hmm. They've drafted a lot of wingers. Oh, Brock Besser, Jake Vertanen, Vasily Podkolzin. Uh, well, D- Danila Klimovich was their first pick in 2021. He wasn't a first-round draft pick because they didn't have one. But he was a winger. That was the first player they took off the board. And then most recently with the 15th overall pick, Jonathan Lekaramaki. Mm-hmm. You know, draft all these wingers, and you're like, why do we have so many wingers? Well, they probably drafted them, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and then you acquire them, right? I mean, the 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 big, the 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 piece that was um, everyone was kind of excited about in the Oliver Ekman Larson trade was Connor Garland, but because the flat cap came in, and because there are two positions that get valued higher than the other ones, centers and defensemen. The Canucks didn't really have a lot to sell. And I think that was part of the reasons why this whole group is back. They're like, you know, Connor Garland, I, I don't want to just give away a player like that. And I get that thinking, but sometimes the market is what the market is. Now you've got contracts like Brock Besser's three-year deal with a fairly significant cap hit, over $6 million. What's Brock Besser worth on the market? You're not getting a top four defenseman for him, I don't think. Wingers are giveaways at this point. First round pick. Look at look at Pacioretty and look at Bjorkstrand. I know these examples have been pointed out, but you could have had Pacioretty on a free 
I'm using soccer terminology now. Could have had him on a free. Surely there's a GM somewhere that could be convinced that Besser's worth a, worth a first round pick. No. Nope. Surely somewhere. I would maybe a late first, but but no, no. But no, but then no, but then no. you've got to make the you got to make the deal work. Yeah. No 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 no. No, Alfred no. vehemently disagrees. No, 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 no. Why would you? Why would you? you well, the cap's Brock. going up. He's a, a good player. Just wait for free agency. You can get a Besser in free agency. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm going to start using that. I like that. Not saying no, saying no, 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 no. 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 You can get Besser in free agency. You can it get is Besser, right? Well, you can trade another team for a Besser. There's a bunch of them out there. It actually is tough to peg a market value for players right now because you've got this flat cap for now and that brings values down but now you've got the hope of the, the salary cap going up it might go up as much as four million dollars so does that resuscitate the value for some of these players maybe i mean halford says you can go out and get them in free agency what a winger yeah there is an abundance of them for some reason the Canucks keep drafting them <laughs> we gotta let them go we got too many yeah. now you can get them in free agency no it's the easiest position on an nhl roster mm-hmm. to fill i'd say some will say goaltending those people often don't get to the playoffs or lose in the first round right i would say it's wingers mm-hmm. and the canucks have a lot of them well now they got another one in jt miller he's not even a center anymore he's a winger <laughs> okay then horvat and a second for a first Mm-hmm. But then you're just uh, mm-hmm. you're trading away draft capital. You need to accumulate draft capital, right? And they don't, don't have their second anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, right. it was for it was, no, it was for next year. To be uh, fair. Okay. Okay. I, I want to move on to s- just something else for a little bit. Can we all agree, listeners? Are you nodding in your cars or in your breakfast nooks? I don't agree to that. No. Okay. Anyway, uh, we did ask, "What do you want us to talk about? Where do you want us to see us go with the conversation?" Uh, great text here from Curtis and White Rock, guys. How do you feel about spending four hours of an eight-hour flight doing high knees in the aisle while your teammates sleep? This, of course, is a very clever allusion to Russell Wilson, who finds new and imaginative and creative ways to be more cringe every week. This time, it was being the most annoying person on a transcontinental flight. Let's hear from Russ right now. For me, I was on the plane for two hours. I was... uh... Uh, first two hours, probably eight, was it eight hours flight here? That's the first two hours I was watching the film, getting, watching all the cut-ups and everything else. And then for the next four hours, I was doing treatment on the plane. I was walking up and down the aisles. Everybody was knocked out. I was doing high knees and working on, working on my legs and everything else, you know, make sure I'm ready to rock. Uh, so that was good. And then the last two hours, of, the last hour of that, I, I watched, I fell asleep for one hour, and I watched the film the rest. So, I, it's, it's almost unbelievable. At this point. How insufferable is that? No, you know what it is? He was the he talk is... of our hockey dressing room after oh. our game last night. And, like, he's the talk of our – I've got friend. I've got a friend who's a Broncos fan, mm-hmm. and he's part of our group chat. So I'm just like, I'm loving this. I'm I... absolutely loving this. He hates Russ. He hates him. Well, I don't – I mean, it, it, here's the thing. Throughout his time in Seattle, one thing you could always say up until the very end when they were just mediocre is that – um He's never really had to deal with this kind of poor performance, both personally and team. I mean, you got to remember when he walked into Seattle, he caught the league by storm a little bit because he was this uh, out of nowhere rookie that was playing over his head. And then he got really good and then he won a Super Bowl and then he was in conversation for multiple Pro Bowls, even near the end in Seattle. There was still a very high value. I mean, obviously, for what they got in return for the trade, but a sense that he was still a franchise quarterback. And to see how he looks through seven games this year, it's almost shocking how bad he looks and how bad the Broncos look. But here's the thing. 
The messaging hasn't changed. The personality hasn't changed. The weird catchphrases and the relentless positivity and almost denial that things aren't going well. And everyone's like, what sort of robot are we dealing with? This sort of Mr. Unlimited robot. He has been incredible for the meme economy. I, there's like has anyone created more memes than him in the world of sports in a shorter period or in of the time, world of no ever his meme per 60 is off the charts every week there's something new i saw a great meme of him doing the let's ride thing on a flight <laughs> <laughs> he's just turning around so he's turning around to the the plane and it's just like a regular you know flight of people looking miserable because they're on a flight and yeah. he's standing up in his broncos uniform going that's right yeah and that's exactly that's what their flight to london was like i imagine everyone on that sit plane, down please stop walking and doing stretches like it's so weird and so awkward and so uncomfortable i really want to know what his teammates think about him like I oh want i'm some... sure they oh, can't stand him oh ask any can't former seahawk yeah. i think and you'll get a pretty good answer on that no i i, I think it i think it'd be worse because at least some of his former seahawks teams were like you know what he was a pretty good quarterback yeah, for have, us they probably have some fond memories of the wins yeah. and the super bowls and, and we, we had, and, and the thing is that russell wilson um no matter how much i'm going to make fun of him i'm never going to sit here and say well in hindsight it was all the defense or it was all pete carroll or it was all the running game without those guys russ would have been nothing no no russ russell wilson was a really good quarterback for mm-hmm. the seahawks and he was a part of a number of absolutely magical games and magical moments for the Seahawks. Uh, and and he was terrific. He was a great, great player. What I'm confused about is where it went with his personality. Was this, was this always the guy he was? And either I was in denial about it or... It wasn't publicized as much, maybe because he didn't have like a subway deal or something along those lines. Or did he become, did his ego grow and grow and grow? And then he got the celebrity wife and it grew even more. And then he started worrying about MVPs and it grew even more. Like, did that all, you know, or was, was this always the person he was? No. Behind the scenes. I'll tell you what happened. I think I, I, I've thought about this for a long time. I think there's a direct correlation between the growth of his ego and the decline of his play, right? If you were to look at a timeline where you've got two parallel lines and then all of a sudden they stop becoming parallel because one is going up and one is going down. Mm -hmm. I think right now we're at some weird X X line or dot on the map where um, the rise of his ego and the decline of his play, it's almost at its peak. Yeah. Because at a certain point, he's going to have to relent and start acting like a normal human person. I don't know. I don't know. You can't do this. Like, what does Russ do after he's done with football? Leg kicks. <laughs> For hours. Calis- calisthenics. I, like, is I, there I, any way he's not a motivational speaker? Yeah, he's going right to the motivational speaker. Tony Robbins? Yeah. Pretty much? Yeah. 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 Broncos country, let's ride. Like, TED Talks every week. Like, yeah. that'll be Russell Wilson. But um, do you think again, he ever has a real conversation? With anyone? I, I mean, there's got to be... The, part, the, part of this has to be a facade. Like, you cannot be that oddly tone deaf and that weirdly optimistic all the time. Everyone has a bad day. No conversation he has is less than five minutes. Like, I don't even know if he could small talk. I think like, he's brainwashed himself into being what he is right now. Potentially. But it, all I'm really saying is that... He's like, got to stay positive, got to stay positive. So even right. as the negativity builds up, yeah. he's going to have even more pushback and he's got no you got to stay positive stay positive look at him on social media the lesson is never be positive that's the only oh, solution well that's that yeah. i mean that's that's the way i've lived my life yeah and look how that's <laughs> turned and out look at it's, me this has been great 
Um, okay, I want to pivot off the um, Russell Wilson conversation. Stick on the topic of football. Go north of the border. Right here, Canada, Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, the BC Lions. Gary Garrison wanted us to talk about the situation currently at hand. We did this yesterday, but I kind of got, I, again, thinking more and more about this. And the Nathan Rourke return. So for those that are unaware, Nathan Rourke, who's been out for the better part of two and a half months with the Liz Frank injury in his foot, is going to return in tomorrow night's season finale against the Bombers. The game itself means nothing. It is zero significance. The Bombers are the class of the hell, and they're on their way to the playoffs. The Lions are locked in to number two in the West. They're going to host a home playoff game. Yet this game is hugely important, Mm -hmm. hugely important, because we get to see where Nathan Rourke is at, both in terms of his health and mobility with his foot and then the rust factor, how long he's been out, how much rust has accumulated. We get to see it all play out. He's going to start. Sounds like he's going to play the first quarter. My question is, if it looks like the Nathan Rourke that we saw in the first eight weeks of the season, do the Lions suddenly go into that conversation of, ooh, that's a Grey Cup caliber team? Oh, of course, of course they do. Yeah. Of course. They, well, it's, it's no, the no, CFL no. playoffs. You can't there's, say there's, of course. No. You're willing to bet all that on, like, let's say he comes out in one quarter and looks good. Yeah. You're all in. Well, I'm like, not, no, I'm not picking them to win the Grey Cup. I, I still think the, the, the Bombers are the favorites. The Bombers are, the Bombers, you know, blew out the Lions when, when Rourke was healthy. They are the class of the CFL. But if Rourke is healthy, then you give them a chance. If Rourke is healthy and looks good, they should beat the Stamps. I guess but my they concern would, but would they be... would still be significant underdogs going to Winnipeg for the West Final. I guess my question would be: How much are we going to be able to base expectations wise, optimistically? Because again, that home game we're talking it up is like this should be a big deal. And apparently they're selling a bunch of tickets for it. It should be a big game. It is a big game, and we haven't had lots of them. So with that said, say Nathan Rourke balls out in the first quarter. We're like, man, he looks like mm-hmm. MOP Nathan Rourke. Yeah. Are we going <laughs> to – do you tap the brakes a little bit? No. No, be excited about it. You We're should... allowed to be excited yeah. about these things. Yeah. I mean, there was one of the conversations I saw going on last night was, should you start – again, not even necessarily based on Friday. Just he's coming back. They want him to play. He wants to play. Are they like a really sneaky betting line guy, betting line team to maybe do? Well, for it's not that sneaky. Everyone's thinking it, right? Like it's that they are. The Nathan work was so good early in the season. He was the talk of the league. He's a Canadian quarterback who, if the season would have continued, or if the season would have continued for him, if he'd remained healthy and kept playing like that, he would have been the MLP. He would have been the best player mm-hmm. in the league. He's still the Lions nominee for MLP. Oh, yeah. And he might still win like top Canadian in the league. So he might win MLP. Like he, he was that good. Yep. And he was that good a story. If he looks good against Winnipeg and everything goes well, and Rick Campbell comes out, yeah, Nathan Rourke is starting for us mm. against the Calgary Stampeders. The Lions should be favored to win that game. Mm-hmm. They won't be favored if they win that game and go to Winnipeg. That's just reality. Sure. Winnipeg is really good. But that would be their you know, that might be the Grey Cup in terms of matchups because coming out of the East, I don't know if you're gonna have a contender as good as a, a fully healthy Lions team or a Winnipeg Blue Bombers team that has been the class of the league for a while now. Um, okay. We got a lot more to get into on the program today. 
By the way, there is Thursday Night Football tonight. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Baltimore Ravens. One of the questions that I had out there is, is it, would it be stupid to write off Tom Brady right now as things are currently going? Because I think we've done it about five or six times before. That game will play out later. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Jeff Baker as we circle back into the Canucks talk. But we're going to do it by looking at the Canucks' next opponent. Tonight in Seattle, the Kraken. Jeff is the beat writer for the Seattle Times on the Kraken. So we'll talk to him about everything that's going on in and around this team. They've kind of pulled themselves back into 500 on the verge of playoff picture. Yes, we're talking about playoffs this early in the season. They're an intriguing young team. They've got Maddie Beneers. They've got Shane Wright. We don't exactly know what the plan is for Shane Wright, although he sounds like he'll be on his way back to junior. They've got injuries in net. It's going to be Martin Jones tonight, the North Vancouver native. So we'll talk to Jeff about all of this as we preview tonight's game. 8 o'clock, it's Batch. 8.30, it's What We Learns. And a reminder, if you want to win tickets to see the Canucks play the Penguins uh, Friday night at Rogers Arena, send your What We Learn, hashtag it WWL, add a ticket emoji so you can be entered into the grand prize draw. We got a lot more to get to. We got a big show ahead. Uh, don't change the channel. Keep it on the dial. It's the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130. on a Thursday. We are really embracing our AM radio roots with this one. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Your easy listening in the morning. It's time for another death march. (laughs) Seven games in. Here we go. Oh my god. That was perfect. Now, uh, now, like, Linda Rodstad needs to do her part of yeah. the duet. He's not a death march. <laughs> oh, here comes Aaron Neville. There's a Spanish recording of it. Yeah, I'm going to have a best of it at the end of the year and just compile them all together and release an album. What's death march in Spanish? Something muerto? I, I, I actually didn't. Th- is Did you just type in, like, adult contemporary? I literally typed in 80s hair metal, and this is what oh, came yeah, up. This is, uh, this is an 80s hair nope. metal. Don't know this if is... I describe this as hair metal. <laughs> this great, is though. absolutely not hair metal. Oh, that's not sax. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was good, Andy. <laughs> I don't even know what we're doing anymore. You're Jeff, ba- like... Jeff Baker hung up. <laughs> yeah, he is completely... What am I... What have I what, who did I book? <laughs> what have I booked here as a guest? What am I doing? That's the Halvard and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. This is Sportsnet 650, your home of the Canucks. And contemporary jazz hits. Uh, we are brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Uh, it's not contemporary jazz. This is like classic, as you would say, Peter Cetera. Like that's the type of music that is. That that would the lead be, singer of Chicago. That would be on the Valentine's Day mix. That would be. Oh, yeah, the Valentine. There's something to look forward to. Yeah. It's October. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the phone lines. The Canucks are back in action tonight in Seattle. Uh, joining us now, Seattle Times NHL writer and columnist Jeff Baker here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Morning, Jeff. How are you? I'm doing well. By the way, I'm a big Chicago fan, and, and Peter uh, Cetera, yeah, Cetera uh, is an elite singer. It's Robert Lamb now, um, which I think is a great change so i would go see uh the 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 running gag there is one time i was doing a read i think uh we were explaining something about the band chicago and then i 
did one of those Ron Burgundy things where I just read his name like it was part of et cetera. So I'm like, oh, you know, Peter, yeah, et cetera. No, and I was furious. He was very angry. Very I was angry. furious. Yeah. Uh, uh, Robert got a great voice and uh, he's been doing it for years and years and years. So, uh, yeah, that's good. Hey, sorry to interrupt. Let's talk about the Canucks. Well, actually, no, you know what? Let's, let's talk not. about the Kraken instead. Yeah, um, okay. How has the Kraken season gone? They're 3-3-2, three, three and two, uh, but it took them a while to get their first home win. Yeah, honestly, the Kraken should have at least five wins right now. They gave away two games. Where I, I think they're not even sure how they managed to give those away in, in Anaheim and in Chicago on Sunday. They, they were just dominating both those games and then made a couple of really you know boneheaded mistakes that, that cost them the hockey game uh, both times. So, um, you know, they're a 500 team record wise, but they've been playing much better than a 500 team. They won their first game, uh, two of their worst games of the season were their first two home games. Um, they, they, they showed up at 4:30 in the morning on a Friday after their, their first two games in Los Angeles and Anaheim. And, you know, they were kind of a little depleted for the Saturday night game against Vegas. They, they basically Vegas mopped the ice with them. And then they went and played Carolina. You know, they, they kept it close for a little bit, but still didn't have the same energy. Um, but honestly, ever since then, uh, you know, they played, they played a really tough game against St. Louis, uh, let down for a couple of minutes and ended up losing that game in overtime. But really they, they probably should have won that game as well. And then, uh, you know, they, they went in and beat Colorado in Colorado. So what I'm trying to say is they finally won their first home game. Um, the other night, they, they basically, uh, they, they completely overwhelmed the Buffalo Sabres, which, which are a pretty good team to start the year. So it's been a very good start for the Kraken. They're not the Kraken. They're, they're not your older brother's Kraken. They're, uh, they're, they're a very different-looking team from last season, and uh, they needed that first home win because uh, they're, they're still trying to sell this game in the local market here. And, you know, going winless in four to start at home probably wouldn't have been a good idea. Can you tell us about that Kraken win over the Colorado Avalanche? Like, wh- how did that win – uh, come about? Did they get a great goaltending performance? Uh, did they carry the play against the Colorado Avalanche? Because there's wins and there's you know wins that you really deserve to get. Right. It wasn't a fluke. They 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 came out. They they went right at them from the start and uh, built up a two nothing lead midway through the third uh, through the second period. Had a three to one lead at one point, and then they did what the Kraken do. They they sometimes let teams back in the game. They took a, a penalty, a bad penalty, and uh, ended up letting. Colorado back in the game, but then Colorado tied it on a on a giveaway off a power play in the third period. But really, the Kraken came back and responded right after that. The Kraken outplayed them in that game. Philip Grubauer had his best performance of the season. He got hurt, unfortunately, with half halfway through the third period. But you know, he, I, I wouldn't call it. Uh, you know, it wasn't Patrick Waugh in the 1994 playoffs against Boston or 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 uh, or or Ottinger last year against Calgary. It, it was a performance you expect a goalie making $6 million a year to to have. Uh, he played well, and the Kraken won. So the way they drew it up, that, that was uh, – I think that game kind of showed what this team could be. And, uh, you mean, again, as I said, uh, other than those games they gave away in Anaheim, Chicago, this would be a team right up there with the NHL leaders at this point. So – um, it's not going to be uh, the same Kraken that rolled over in a, in a majority of their games last season. I don't want to say rolled over. They tried hard. They just didn't have the firepower to stay in games. They do have it this year, and they have it working on all four lines. Well, they didn't have the goaltending last season, and, and based on the numbers, they they still don't have the goaltending. If you're looking at save percentage, Grubauer, who is hurt, has an 860, and Martin Jones, who I guess played pretty well against Buffalo because he only allowed one goal, 
um, has an 870. Is it fair to suggest that goaltending is still possibly the the Achilles heel of the of the Kraken? Yeah, I think it will be until proven otherwise. Um, you know, that said, one of the keys to what Martin Jones did the other night was the Kraken only allowed 16 shots on goal. So if you, you allow 16 shots on net, you're going to win about 90% of your games. So, um, you know, that helps. When he didn't have to turn away, uh, you, know, you know, make a whole bunch of spectacular saves to, to avoid blowing a lead, that was good. I mean, one of the problems with the Kraken last season, and, and this is where the numbers can sometimes deceive. Uh, look, Grubauer wasn't a $6 million goalie last year. I don't think anybody's going to try to argue that. And, uh, you know, right now he still hasn't been up to where they want him this season. Uh, but, you know, a lot of that has to do with the defense and the system that they're playing. I mean, they play a very fast transitional game. And, and frankly, they've been burned a lot on the transition. Um, you know, a couple of really costly goals. When I say they lost the game in Chicago and they lost the game in Anaheim, both times they, they, they gave up, uh, I think it was like three-on-one or three-on-two breaks off a, power, off a power play opportunity when they could have put the game away. Instead, they're giving up odd man rushes left, right, and center. And, you know, the goalies are getting bombarded from all sides. So, you know, when they cut down on that and play a really disciplined game the way they did the other night against Buffalo, you know, it, it, it makes it easier for the goalies to, to try to up their save percentage a little. I, I don't like save percentage all that much. It's, it's very much a team stat. Um, you know, that said, when you're down in the 860s, yeah, you know, the goalie has something to do with it. But it's not all the goaltending. A lot of it's been the defense. Uh, it's no secret in, in town that uh, the Kraken's defense was a little uh, – defenders were a little slow last season. They got size. Um, they, they tried to get a little more speed in the, in the summertime with Justin Schultz, but you know, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to beat you in a hundred meter sprints. And so, um, you know, this is a team that really has to play a disciplined game, has, has to position themselves well and has to avoid, uh, getting burned on the transition. And, uh, you do that. I think the goalies, uh, a lot of the goalies save percentages and all the advanced stats will start to miraculously go a little bit higher. How has Matty Beniers looked, and have the Kraken really been trying to build up his profile in the market because of all the players on the team, uh, and I would say even including maybe Shane Wright, who we'll get to in a bit, he might have the most star potential. Oh, no question. Uh, and, and, you know, they don't have to build him up all that much. Matty Beniers has been great. He, he was the best-looking player on the ice in training camp. Uh, he's got three goals already. Here with the crack and it's hard to believe sometimes that he's still only 19 years old and a rookie um I, I think they're finding out right now that the ceiling for this player is a lot higher perhaps than what they thought they were getting when they drafted him now you remember back in the draft everybody said you know Berniers is going to be a good NHL centerman which is good that's a valuable commodity to have but nobody was saying he was going to be elite nobody was saying you know you weren't hearing words like greatness it was supposedly you know a so-so draft and he was, he was one of the better guys up there, so they took him. Now now they're thinking, hey, we might have a team captain here in a year or so, a year or two. Um, yeah, you know, here's a guy that, you know, with Shane Wright, as you mentioned, if Shane Wright can live up to his reputation, you're going to have one, two, uh, two, two really top guys up the middle for this team, and that's a great yeah. way to start. So, Beniers, I mean, he's had some growing pains. You know, and, and the one thing I'm going to be interested to watch going forward is he obviously only played, uh, you know, he played about half an NHL schedule when he was in college. And so, you know, there's been a couple of nights so far where I've, I've noticed that he looks like he's disappearing a little bit. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he's getting, if he's going to start getting hit by some fatigue because they've had a really tough schedule against some really good teams to start the year. Um, but then he comes out like the other night and he, uh, he played well. So, uh, you know, you'll have some inconsistencies. He lost 14 out of 15 faceoffs in, uh, in Chicago. 
so that's you know again a sign that it's a learning curve here and um but but honestly there's nothing to complain about with the way Benares has played he's not the problem on this team he's he's one of the uh, solutions yeah face-offs for a teenager I I don't put much stock into it you need to get stronger you need to be experienced I'm sure He'll figure that out. Um, Shane... Well, well, part of part of that part of the issue though is the Kraken have three other four centermen. You know, you've got him, you've got Shane Wright, and then you got Morgan Geeky, who's in only his second full season in the NHL. Yeah. So you've got three really inexperienced centermen out of four, to the point where Alex Wenberg, who, who's never a great faceoff guy to begin with, <laughs> is now taking a lot of your important faceoffs, and he's losing a lot of them too. So, you know, for a team that puts a lot of stock in a possession. That's an important part of their game that, uh, you know, has been lacking a little to start the year. Uh, Shane Wright, is it safe to uh, to conclude that he's probably going to go back to the OHL at, at some point? He can't seem to get into the lineup regularly, and when he does play, he's not playing much. I mean, he's done okay when they put him in. Part of the problem has been anytime he dresses for games, that's when both teams decide to take a whole slew of penalties, one after the other, and he's not on any special teams units. In fact, they were discussing maybe putting him on the penalty kill just to get him more minutes. But And the other problem is a lot of their games, the vast majority of their games have been tie games, you know, or one-goal games in the third period. And, you know, when that's happening, the last thing you're going to do is say, hey, let's throw more of our fourth liners out there to try to win this game. It, it's, it, it's, you know, they, they've been kind of caught in that situation. I'm not sure that I think they are going to send them back. I, I know that they really don't think there's any benefit to doing it. Um, there, there is a very uh, big thought within the organization that he can benefit more, even just by practicing and learning at this level and, and taking his hits and lumps in practice against bigger professional players rather than sending him back um, to play. And, and personally, and this is just my take, I, I mean, I think if, if they were going to send him back anytime soon, you'd probably see him out on the ice more than you've seen because they want to get a really good look at him before doing it. I, I think right now the cautious approach that they're taking suggests to me anyway that they're willing to wait a little bit they're saying you know hey we haven't gotten it right away maybe we'll get him 10 minutes 12 minutes next month um you know or or in his 15th game or something like that you know if they really are in it for the long haul with him there, there probably is no rush to to get him in there right now when they're trying to win games i mean don't forget you go to climate pledge any night you're gonna see thousands of empty seats there they might be sold out but they're, they're not exactly a hot draw right now in town the crack and a lot of the novelties worn off so they really want to win games make this a winning team get people in the seats for now and get a toehold in this market because they've got some really stiff competition from the other pro teams here i'm really glad you brought that up we're speaking to jeff baker from the seattle times here on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 i'm glad you brought that up because uh, a piece that you just recently wrote for the times the headline is kraken entering pivotal stretch to establish an identity with fans. Now, you alluded to a couple things there. We're really curious as to where the Kraken fit in that sports landscape because over the last few months, uh, things have gone in pretty dramatic directions for the Mariners, obviously, snapping the lengthy playoff drought. And then the Seahawks, who we thought were going to be bad, but they're actually pretty good. And now you have the Kraken. So um, how is that process going, uh, establishing the identity with the fans? And how important is this upcoming stretch, including tonight's game against the Canucks? Well, I honestly don't think it's gone very well so far. I think they had a bit of a practice season last year uh, when they weren't as good on the ice as they thought they were going to be. Uh, nobody in the organization thought they were going to be the third worst team in hockey. That, that threw a lot of their a, a wrench into a lot of their plans. They had the COVID, uh, you know, uh, situation with, uh, you know, preventative measures taken at the arena, and they believe that kept a lot of people away. There was stuff they wanted to implement in games. A lot of that stuff they're only doing right now. They're about a year late 
with a lot of this stuff. And, and honestly, the ticket value for the team has, has, has really plummeted uh, on the open market. You try to, you try to sell your $300 seat on StubHub, you're probably only going to get 150 or less for it. So that's something they have to turn around in a hurry because they've, a lot of their season ticket holders have booked for three-year minimum packages. That was the minimum. You could book for three, five, or seven. And that's going to come due for renewal in another year and a half. So they really have to start building that back up if they want to sell new season tickets. So that's always lingering in the background. Uh, when you're going to games and seeing three, 4,000 empty seats a night, uh, that shows you the people who paid for tickets still don't have enough interest to come to games, and they're not able to sell them or even give them away to people who want to come to games. So that's not, you know, me sitting here and pretending, oh, it's all great, they're a huge success story. That's not true. Um, they've got a lot of competition. When they had their opening night uh, home home game, after two really good games in California where they should have been 2-0 and and they ended up going 1-0-1, and they come home and, and the Mariners are playing in their, uh, their whatever it was, 19-inning playoff game as the puck's about to drop so nobody's actually watching the cracking game in the stands everybody's looking at their cell phones um and it was just a complete distraction the whole night and they the mariners kind of overshadowed the entire start of the cracking season starting with the two road games in california and with the home opener so yeah then when you go and you lose your first three games at home um yeah it creates a bit of an issue It, it sets you back in your attempt to try to build this team up um it's very important i think for the kraken to take care of the games that they should be winning. Uh, and, and honestly, the Canucks are in such a tailspin right now. I know it's a rival and, and, and all that. And the, the Kraken have never beaten the Canucks, as we know, in, in when it counts. They've done it in preseason. But they have to take care of business tonight. These are the games they got to win because they got a tough road trip next week. Um, and they got to go to Calgary, Minnesota, Pittsburgh. they got Pittsburgh at home on Saturday night. I mean, the games aren't going to get that much easier. So they took care of business against the Sabres. Um, when they didn't take care of the Blackhawks the other night, and they didn't take care of uh, Anaheim in the season opener. So, you know, they really have to take care of these games, pad their record a little bit, keep themselves a 500 team, keep themselves in the mix going forward all year, and that's how you're going to build interest in the team. Nobody's going to want to go to games if your team's, you know, already eliminated by Christmas like they were last year. So um, that that's their goal this year. They have to stay relevant in this market because they're not going to get a break. The Seahawks are uh, – I don't know how they're doing it, but they are. And so that's going to that's gonna be out there for the next two months competing for attention. Should the Kraken be worried about the expected return of the NBA to Seattle? I don't know if they're worried about it because they spent a lot of money on that arena. I actually have a book coming out talking about the uh, the, the whole process that it came, uh, that, that, that it took to get this arena done and built. It was a billion, too, that they spent all private money to get this arena built, so they need they need that team to come here because a lot of it was predicated on the NBA coming back. Mm-hmm. As far as attention, yeah, that's always been an issue. I mean, we, we have a lot of sports here. Um, you know, I grew up in Montreal and, and Toronto, and we didn't we still didn't even have the same number of sports teams that they do here in this much smaller market. I mean, we've got, you know, not only, not only the Mariners, not only the Seahawks, uh, then you'll have NBA coming back. And then the Kraken, that's four major major professional teams. Then you have the, the Washington Huskies football team, which is like a professional team. You've got the Seattle Sounders, which maybe not major professional, but they're a very good major league soccer team. They have their fans. You've got the Seattle Storm, a very good WNBA team. There's a lot of attention for these sports dollars in this city. And, yeah, they have to establish a toehold here. They've got maybe you know a few more years to do it. I don't think the NBA is coming back for another few years. Um, because those, those things take time, but 
you know, time's a wasting. They got to they got to establish a toehold here for sure. Tell us a bit about that book you've got coming out. Uh, I mean, we we followed it um, up here in Vancouver. Uh, you know, I, I remember the involvement of, of of Chris Hansen. I don't know where he still is in, in all that, but just the number of starts and stops that Seattle had, and then they finally get their arena by renovating the the old arena. Yeah, I mean, the book's called Rising from the Deep. It's uh, published by Triumph Books in Chicago, and we're really trying to market it more on a national level, national degree, because it's really it's not necessarily a book about the Kraken's first season, per se. It's, it's really a sports business, sports politics, sports drama kind of book where it goes into all the stuff that happened with Chris Hansen, all those battles that took place over the last 10 years, uh, the, the Coyotes threatening to move up here, the Sonics leaving town, why that happened. It really goes into the last 20 years of Seattle sports, and it talks about the city of Seattle uh, itself and sort of the culture here that, that led to the situation that we're in. And it shows, you know, the, the obstacles that, that Tim Laiwiki and the Oakview Group kind of faced to come here and get this arena done. Because, like I said, $1.2 billion spent all privately on an aging city-owned arena. I don't think that's ever been done in the professional sports world. You've seen all private arenas before, but they're usually brand new. They're not salvaging a taxpayer-owned facility that's a, that's you know about to go the way of the dodo bird. So this is a very unique situation. I have it's one of the I think it's one of the bigger success stories in the history of this kind of thing, uh, where where uh, you know private public partnerships. And so um, I think it's a very interesting book, but I'm a little biased about that. But it comes <laughs> out um, no, November first. Comes out November first. We're very excited. Jerry Bruckheimer was kind enough to write the uh, foreword for it. Uh, one of the Kraken owners, and obviously. Uh, he wrote it right when they were releasing Maverick this year. So uh, he did me a real solid by helping. Going, hey, where's your uh, where's your forward? We need it for the book. And uh, so I'm sure it wasn't at the top of his priority list, but he did me a favor uh, in doing that. And so I, I think people are going to really like it, you know. So uh, um, it, it's not your typical sports book. There is stuff on how the cracking came together, the expansion draft and everything. There's a little bit on their first season. But frankly, if we were writing a book about their first season, it would be a very short book. There wasn't much to talk about. You should get Jerry oh, Bruckheimer to uh, produce like a very high budget trailer for your book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, we we joked about it. My my wife and I uh, we said, yeah, we should get Jerry to do the movie on this. But I mean, it would be a tough movie to do. Yeah. Although sports business, I don't know, but um, you know, you can do some good sports business movies. Uh, you know, kind of like a hockey version of Wall Street, maybe something like that. There's a lot but. more car chases uh, in the movie than there are in the book. But <laughs> all right, Jeff, thanks for joining us today. Anytime, guys. Uh, that's Jeff Baker, Seattle Times NHL writer and columnist, and of course the author of a book which is soon to be released: "Rising from the Deep: The Seattle Kraken, A Tenacious Push for Expansion, and the Emerald City's Sports Revival." So, Jeff, there was a lot there to unpack. Uh, the one takeaway for me, because I asked the question because I was reading the article while reading the question, is that there's a lot of uh, importance on this current stretch that the Kraken are on. Dude, that's not a good thing that they've already got a bunch of empty seats. No, it's not. At the arena. It's not you good know, at all. When we when we went into this, I had big questions about Seattle as a hockey market. Because I, I, know, I know Seattle, right? Like I, I, I know that it loves football. I know that it loved the Sonics. I know that the Mariners have been there and that when the Mariners are good, uh, it loves them. Although that's been pr- fairly rare over 
the uh, the entirety or the history of the of the franchise. But you know, I when I played minor hockey, we would occasionally go down and play the team from Seattle. Mm-hmm. They were called the Snowbirds. Okay, the team. They're like capital like T. Yeah, guys? like okay. you know, and I don't know how many teams play in Seattle now in terms of minor hockey, like youth hockey, whatever you want to call it. Um, I knew that they they had like a hardcore group that supported the Seattle Thunderbirds. And then, of course, Everett got a team. And there are major junior teams in the state of Washington that have varying levels of support. Okay, But the NHL is a different animal. Mm-hmm. The NHL is expensive to go to. And you just have to be – I just wondered about Seattle as a hockey market. Like, would they support this team – and the conclusion that I drew was probably, but only if it's a winning team. Yeah, clearly the lack of success, the lack of identity, the lack of everything from that first season it, has, has had a profound effect. It's so easy to get buried in a sports market like Seattle that has major college football in the Huskies, the NFL, Major League Baseball. I mean, they will soon be one of the cities with four major league teams, right? NBA, NHL, NFL, Major League Baseball. The MLS team is arguably the most supported in all of MLS. Uh, the, the competition for the sports dollar in a city like Seattle, and yes, there's a lot of money in Seattle. There's a lot of corporate support, uh, and that's why they were able to sell out the, the Kraken season ticket base so quickly. But it's a three-year commitment from what I heard from Jeff so we'll see where they are in three years. I could easily see a situation where if the Kraken are not successful, let's say they don't host any playoff games, there's no real buzz or there's no big games played by the Kraken, then you're kind of like, you could see these, especially with the economy going the way it is, you could see people going like, yeah, I don't really want these tickets anymore. It was fun. You know, we went to some hockey games, but, you know, I'll just get single, single ticks for now, from now on. They need to make an impact in that market because I'm telling you, once the NBA returns there, that's the team that everyone in Seattle wants. There is still very much a love affair with those Sonics teams. And once that NBA team goes back, they will dominate the NHL and NBA season, which is pretty much the same season in terms of attention. People will love that team when it's back. Uh, coming up on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650, it is the final hour of the program. We're going to continue the Canucks talk here with Brendan Batchelor, the radio play-by-play voice of the Vancouver Canucks. He's going to join us at 8. At 8.30, we're going to dive into the Dunbar Lumber text line at 650-650. That is the small alternative. We're going to read your What We Learns. If you put a ticket emoji on your What We Learned, hashtag it WWL, and add a ticket emoji to your What We Learned, you will be entered into a grand prize draw for two tickets to see Sidney Crosby and the Pittsburgh Penguins on Friday night against the Canucks at Rogers Arena. So suffice to say, it's a big final hour. Don't go anywhere. Keep submitting your What We Learns. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It's time for another death march. <laughs> Seven games in. Can I borrow a feeling? 